I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Warning. The following episode contains subject matter and scenes that some viewers may find upsetting, disturbing, or unnerving. Please note viewer discretion is advised at all times. Sit back and enjoy. Well, we just got a friend that called from my daughter saying he's chasing us with a gun. And then she hung up the phone and you could hear the screaming okay. in the hallway. Yeah. Hillary and I are profoundly shocked and saddened by the tragedy today in Littleton, where two students opened fire on their classmates before apparently turning their guns on themselves. Investigators say this attack appears to have been carefully planned for a long time. Amid the gunshots and bomb blasts, hundreds of students ran for their lives stalked in their own school by two of their own classmates who went on a rampage. I'll rip off your goddamn head! You are getting shot all around me. (laughs) And we do know we have to do more to recognize the early warning signs that are sent before children act violently. 
I will freaking kill you. I'm gonna pull out a goddamn shotgun and blow your damn head off. Imagine that in someone's brain. And they didn't care who it was, and it was all at close range. Screaming after they chewed up something, they'd go, Woo! Bad. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't say a single word to them. I would listen to what they have to say, and that's what no one did. I can only say tonight that the prayers of the American people are with you. Welcome back to our Good Murder of Podcast. We are here. It is episode six, the final episode of the series, series two. I'm Tom Norris. And I'm joined once again. He's on the left of me. He's on the right for you. It's Ben Carter. I'm truly here, there, and everywhere. Well, no, you're just on the left of me and right for them. But if they're listening, I guess I'm everywhere. Absolutely fabulous, Tom, to be back in Boston Sound with a big, big season finale. And what a case to go out on. It is a massive case. I know it's a case you've been very keen to cover since day dot of this podcast, and we have finally reached the appropriate time to release it onto our audience. But before we start, a little word from our sponsors. Tom, I'm ready. I've got my bags all packed. What are you on about? Our big US trip. You said we were going to enjoy all that America had to offer. No, you mug. We can now enjoy all the US true crime shows and documentaries, all from the comfort of our own homes. But they're blocked every time I try and search. Ben, let me and our new sponsor, Surfshark VPN, rock your world. And hopefully unblock your mind. Surfshark is an app and browser extension that essentially lets you place your laptop or phone anywhere in the world enabling you to access the internet as if you were in that country. What, even Netflix? Oh, Ben, listen here. We can now access 15 different Netflix libraries from all around the globe by simply changing our virtual location using Surfshark. It also hides your IP address and encrypts your online information to safeguard your privacy. I mean, that's all well and good for us, Tommy boy, but what do our listeners get out of this? If our audience head over to surfshark.deals forward slash murder and use the code murder, they'll get 84% off plus four extra months for free. That is a pretty killer deal. Surfshark also offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you're not even taking a risk. Well, that's good because I hate risks. What do I do now? Maybe unpack your bags and put the kettle on? Sugar? So as this is the final episode of the series, we decided to pick a very big case. I know, Ben, this was a case you wanted to cover, possibly even in series one. Yeah. We decided against it because we thought Vegas Shooter and this was maybe a bit similar in some aspects. Yeah. So we thought we'd wait until season two. What was the reason why you were so drawn to this case? So I think in terms of cultural significance, this is probably up there in terms of the the well, so the forefront. It's the biggest case I think we've covered um and uh, i don't know there's a fascination with it so people are obsessed with the case there's there's so much attached to the the two perpetrators and also the you know the impact of the event itself um so it's a big old a big old case we've cut it up um into some uh, fairly hefty chunks but we're we, you know it's a case we're excited to cover and very intrigued by and i would think uh, a lot of people are fascinated by it as well so the case we're covering today is the columbine massacre so as mentioned, the, the cultural significance of this case is huge. Um, and I mean, we'll start with the two boys, uh, Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris, um, who again, um, 
to this day have have developed a bit of a, a cult following. Um, so they're known as Columbiners, people that um, have a, uh, either an infatuation or an obsession with the boys, the shooters themselves. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the two very different boys uh, coming from kind of very different families, um, but they form a bit of a friendship as we'll go on to see. We really like to uh, paint a bit of a picture on uh, on the perpetrators. So that's that's the way we're going to start off today's episode. So Eric David Harris was born in April 9th, 1981, born in Wichita, Kansas. The Harris family relocated often as Harris's father was a US Air Force transport pilot. So yeah, his family never really got a a steady base. They would go from place to place as his father would move between the jobs and the army. So it's one of those where you mentioned as a childhood, you don't really feel settled. You have to go make new friends and meet new people constantly, which is always quite jarring. Did you ever have to go to a new school or a new town? I didn't. No, same. So... I did. Can't really Dan, Dan, have you always been in the same school? I did change school. Oh wow! Year, How was it? Year four. Did you get any new nicknames? You joined the new school. Legend, stinky boy, Danny. New. No, fair fight, mate. Good on you. Did you feel settled now? Now I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Um, his mother was a homemaker, not Dan's. His mother was a homemaker. Oh, she was. I'm not slagging her off. <laughs> So Eric David Harris's mother was a homemaker. The family moved from Plattsburgh, New York to Littleton, Colorado in July 1993 when his father retired from military service. So Dylan Bennett Klebold was born on September 11th, 1981. And he was born in Lakewood, Colorado. Um, he came from a fairly different uh, background in terms of his, both of his parents went to art school and were art graduates. And they were, they were described as uh, to be pacifists. So they didn't believe in uh, war or disciplining their children or. I'm immediately picturing um, Ned Flanders' parents. Yes. Yeah. And then with. Eric, his parents were probably Superintendent Chalmers and uh, the, the lunch lady. Okay. Dylan, Colorado, born and raised. It's, um, you know, very much compared to some of the uh, states that we've covered previously. There's not a high rate of, of crime at the time, or there certainly wasn't at the time anyway. Um, Dylan grew up, um, his parents absolutely doted on him. Um, he was taught to be a very, you know... Um, open-minded and an open-hearted individual, so very emotionally raised. Dylan and his older brother attended confirmation classes in accordance with Lutheran tradition. As had been the case with his um, older brother, Klebold was named after a renowned poet, and in this case, the playwright Dylan Thomas. So Eric, growing up in his household, very regimented family style, very strict parents, he grew up quite an angry lad. His dad was a decorated soldier, so obviously he's growing up in a very kind of atmosphere of like discipline and things being a certain particular way um but he also experienced a lot of bullying from jocks growing up um which you know a lot of our cases they've grown up in a situation where they're being bullied being picked on he was advanced in his classes very smart and had plans on following his father's footsteps into the military and had already applied to be enlisted as a marine so dylan on the other hand um was quite a tall the word i want to use is lanky so tall, skinny guy, um, but he was very shy. He was very much an introvert. Um, he, he um, I, I imagine he was the kind of guy that probably had a deviant art page. That's a great throwback. So during the transition um, from uh, middle school to high school, he became part of the CHIPS group, which stands for Challenging High Intellectual Potential Students Program. And he found the tr- transition to middle school very, very difficult. 
So Eric and Dylan met at school and became very good friends. And they also were working together at Blackjack Pizza, where Eric was a shift manager and Dylan was an employee. The pair had met in seventh grade. And over time, people would say they're inseparable. They're always together, always spending time with each other. And yeah, as thick as thieves. Um, and a lot of this came down to the fact that they, they felt kind of a mutual bond over the fact that they'd both been um, targets of bullying. So they wanted to kind of uh, form a group there. They did eventually go on to uh, join what is known as the Trench Coat Mafia, which was essentially a group of kids that liked to wear long black trench coats. And um, they called themselves a mafia because I guess... They were a group. And they call, are they called leather dusters in now in nowadays talk? I think they are. Yeah, I, I don't think they're. Um, I think Mac from Only Sunny wears a leather duster. He does. That's a great shout. Yeah, great shout. Both of the boys came from kind of white middle class um, backgrounds, um, not underprivileged in any way, shape, or form. They spent all their time together, both in school and outside of school and at work. Um, and when they weren't working, they picked up a bit of an interest in firearms. So over time, the intensity of the bullying would continue. Um, they'd also, you know, wouldn't have much luck with the girls. And, um, you know, they'd see the people that were bullying them actually, you know, being with girls when they weren't able to be. Yeah. So the kind of internal, like, torment they were facing it kind of led them to start, you know, to having a very ne- negative outlook on people around them. And even got the boys saying that they hate everyone and they hate you know, hate the world. They hate yeah. the world. And, you know, they, they like the idea of teaching the world a lesson because they've grown up in a way where... They've had such a hard time for no reason in, in their eyes and they're, they're, you know, they, they want to teach everyone a lesson. Yeah. And it's important to note, I think, uh, is kind of in terms of the survivors and the aftermath, it was said that they weren't necessarily at the bottom of the food chain in terms no. of the, the bullying. It was alleged that actually, um, particularly, uh, Dylan was, you know, really popular, had a lot of friends, male and female, had a good social circle around him. Whereas Eric was a little bit more of a closed book only really had Dylan and maybe a handful of other guys that he was friends with. But they went through a, a pretty strict circle of uh, education, work, and then outside of work, all they were doing was either playing uh, video games, um, uh, playing with their VHS uh, camcorders, or they were working over at the uh, Blackjack Pizza. So much of the evidence that would come out after the massacre um, was based around the boys' own diaries, journals, and, and online blogs. So Dylan kept a handwritten uh, journal, and um, and Eric owned a website. And from about a year prior to the shooting, this is where they would keep all their private thoughts and feelings, a lot of anger, a lot of aggression. There were some drawings, um, block a whole lot of block capital letters. So that's when you know someone's upset. This would progressively get darker and darker and darker as we got closer to uh, the year 1999. And on the blog, he detailed the things that him and Dylan would do, and it was nicknamed the Rebel Missions. And this discussed some there was the vandalism they were doing, and he even walked, worked his way up to make how to make explosives. Um, Harris wrote on it, The first true pipe bomb was created entirely from scratch by the Rebels, and that they were calling themselves Reb and Vodka. Yeah, so Eric was Reb, which is short for Rebel, and Dylan was Vod, which is short for Vodka. Um, presumably with Dylan, it was linked to the drink, or there was also maybe a soft drink that he liked. But for uh, for Eric, Rebel was uh, based on obviously a, a rebel of society, a rebel of the school systems. And then from the blog, there was a post which was, I want to do is kill and injure as many of you as I can, especially a few people like Brooks Brown. Brown was a classmate of Eric and, and Dylan apparently gave him the web address in, in an effort to perhaps even warn him yeah. of what was, what might have happened. So they've been very like, I know back in the day, like what, 1996, uh, the internet was still a bit of a mystery. So mm-hmm. had blogs and things like that. And, you know, 
people being savvy about finding them and reading into them and all those things. I wonder if it was a free webs website. Do you remember those? Freeweb.com forward slash, and then you make your own website. I've never done that. Mm. Made a few of them. <laughs> so I think from Eric's website, um, there was a lot of anger coming out there. There was a lot of clear, violent, aggressive language. Whereas on the other hand, Dylan's uh, journal entries were a lot more emotional, a lot more kind of, he seemed a bit of a tortured soul. So his was more like, why won't people notice me, particularly in reference to girls? Why, why won't they like me? Why aren't they into me? Um, so there's quite a high contrast. It is, it's believed that Dylan was actually a manic depressive and potentially even had suicidal thoughts, um, quite frequently. Whereas Eric, um, had much more of a maybe even sociopathic or, um, psychopathic, um, yeah, he, he was described as, as, you know, after all these things happened, it was analyzed and it was said that he, enjoyed lying he did it because he could and he enjoyed all those his little traits he had which very much pointed towards him being a psychopath yeah um but yeah, it's very dark this it's one of those things again when you know what you're looking for and, and you're reading into these things with hindsight there's a lot of things obviously that point towards why weren't they looked into i mean having a website saying essentially saying i want to kill yeah people i mean that and in in so nearly a year before the massacre um dylan wrote in a message in Harris's 1998 yearbook saying, killing enemies, blowing up stuff, killing cops. My wrath for January's incident will be godlike, not to mention our revenge in the commons. And the commons is another name for school cafeteria. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, his yearbook's not going to be looked through until, like, it's, it's his personal project, uh, thing. No one's going to look into that just to check things. But yeah. these kind of things all add up and start, you know, really uh, outlining their kind of thought process and how, you know, how early they're thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the class of 1999 um, photo as well is particularly haunting. So we'll, we'll pop it up for you now. But um, it looks like a completely normal uh, school year photo and everyone's there. But if you slowly zoom into the top left hand corner, you can see uh, Dylan, Eric and a couple of their friends kind of pulling the old uh, rifle down the uh, scope pose. The teachers were also kind of suspicious of the boys about some of the schoolwork that they handed in one of them was involved in an essay of school shootings from the perspective of a bullet written by harris and another one was a short story about a man killing students by dylan so um and both boys also researched and wrote papers on charles manson and nazis they got very you know got very obsessed with nazis as well, didn't yeah they? i also read that they were obsessed with timothy mcveigh oklahoma city bombing um event as well and his kind of his own inspiration and motives behind the attack um and they they really held him in quite high regard yeah um as well as this they obviously had the hitmen for hire um school project uh which we we watched um obviously it's absolutely chilling to watch in hindsight of the event that would later play out in the exact same location but basically um and we'll put some footage up they they had filmed themselves being hitmen for hire um just as as it says on the tin um for students that would be bullied at school and they would walk down the halls in black trench coats and they would then essentially um state that they cannot carry out these um acts on school grounds however the second that they get their bullies out of the school they will then solve the problem and there's footage of them pulling guns out of a car firing guns at potential bullies it's 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 chilling it's really chilling but again that was shared in in a, in a classroom with the rest of their students and uh, co-workers and teachers and again no kind of alarm was raised at that point but i guess they put it down to maybe cre- being a creative and and 
open-minded students? That's the thing. Like, I mean, Harris in one class, because he was very into his creative writing, he, he wrote a story about detailing him and his brother fighting off an entire army of, of assailants. Apparently his classmates, after he read it aloud, there's vigorous finger snaps, which apparently, right, instead of clapping, of approval from his classmates. They're so impressed by his writing. But um, obviously they weren't aware. Finger, finger snaps. Yeah. But yeah, it's, a, it's there's elements there when you start adding it up the teachers obviously like this isn't this isn't a normal behavior mm. um and obviously if they start doing them videos involving guns and whatnot i remember being at school uh doing studying media and there's people in my class who did things like uh when they had short um short film projects they do things involving guns not real guns obviously but like guns yeah. and pretend gangster kind of thing but you would you don't think anything of it no so i mean but then obviously these other things adding up on the side of it um you can start to see why the teachers were starting to think this is uh cause of concern yeah well when i was very young i must have been in primary school and this is embarrassing to say on the podcast go on they brought my mum and dad into school because i wrote a, a creative writing piece or a story on a, a rat that would pull people down the toilet <laughs> what? it's a big rat is it from uh ukraine could possibly have been yeah running around the streets of Dnipro. yeah that's Petrov. yeah that's me referencing uh, yeah uh, yeah <laughs> a previous case let me get out of you this let me get you out of this mud I was just saying it. <laughs> Don't interrupt me, get out of the mud. That's, yeah, that's, that's a flashback to a previous episode. It's not me saying anything untoward about Ukrainians. Yeah. And another thing to mention about the Hitmen for Hire piece is that... Um, Tell us, before we get into that, what is the, what, why sorry. was the rat doing that? Uh, it was just an angry rat, angry at the world. Probably at a blog or a website or a journal. Um, but no, just a rat. They caught the rat in the end. Everything ended well. Um, you know, there was a land below the toilet. Were you ever worried about the rat? I can't really remember. Let us know. Yeah. Let, let us know in the comments below. Was Ben worried about the rat? Named after a rat. Ben Michael Jackson. What? It's about a song about a rat. Ben Michael Jackson? Ben by Michael Jackson. It's about his pet rat. Oh. Yeah, the music video. It's covered in rats. So anyway, on the Hitmen for Hire. Um, so part of the, the footage it was kind of a face. What would you, you work in the, in the sector, in the biz, Tom? Face on, talking at the camera. Just a, just a close up. <laughs> so they had, uh, they had these, these things called close ups, right? <laughs> and, uh, they, they filmed a separate one for Dylan and a separate one for Eric. Now with Dylan's, uh, the, the, the aim of the, the, the close ups, um, was to basically be, speaking to the camera as if they were confronting the bullies. So with Dylan's, he was screaming at full uh, voice and trying to intimidate, but every time he tried to do it, he would corpse and laugh and he, and he couldn't, he couldn't finish. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. No, you goddamn little bitch-ass piece of shit! Do not! Goddamn However, with Eric's, he immediately got everything straight down the camera, word for word perfect, and, and wasn't faced by it whatsoever. Look, I don't care! What you say, if you ever touch him again, I will freaking kill you. I'm going to pull out a goddamn shotgun and blow your damn head off. Do you understand, you little worthless piece of crap? Whereas Dylan found it hilarious and it was something he was clearly uncomfortable doing. Yeah. And I think that highlights nicely the difference between the two boys. Um, but it's chilling again in hindsight that they did that. They did that. So that's one of the traits of psychopathy is a, a sense of you can play a role. You can easily fall into situations, even situations which in particular are ones that most people feel uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. You actually find yourself being very calm and relaxed in. Um, it's even like said that a lot of people like surgeons, brain surgeons have a traits of psychopathy because they're able to be, they're intrigued by the whole thing. They're not overwhelmed by that sense of a pressure that they have. That's a very clear trait that he's, he's displaying there. Mm-hmm. So, and that's not us, um, you know, um, potentially sticking up for Dylan in any way, shape or form. Obviously, there were two perpetrators of this massacre um, and he obviously played his part, um, you know, equally. Um, but it is interesting always to look at, uh, the, you know, the, the kind of traits and the personalities behind both boys. I mean, the way that I like, I feel encapsulates it quite well is that Eric wanted to kill, but Dylan wanted to die. And that was kind of a dangerous, dangerous cocktail um, of a relationship between the two that uh, kind of takes us to April 20th. Definitely. So um, I think it's time for us to actually, you know, go to go to April 20th and start and look into the timeline. Yeah. Cool. So April 20th, 1999, also 420, also Adolf Hitler's birthday, um, which is said to have been intentional on the boys' part. Um from 6am to 7.15am, so the early hours, uh, Eric and Dylan both skip their first class of the day. And do you know what that first class was, Tom? I believe it was bowling. It was bowling. That is a wildly accurate, no, wildly early time. Yeah, I suppose the lanes are clear, both on the road and at the alley. There you go. Um, so according to the boys, um, the boys' teachers of the bowling class, um, who I presume were excellent bowlers... Um, they said that the boys never, ever missed this class. It was one of their favourite classes of the day. Well, you know, I can see why. Love bowling. It was said that they, the weeks coming up to the shooting, they were starting to miss the class, though, quite regularly. Um, it, it was more becoming a regular pattern for them not to be coming in. 
So at 11.10 that morning, Eric and Dylan, or Reb and Vodka, arrived at Columbine High School. They parked their cars, flanking the exits and entrances to the cafeteria. The cars had a good view of the front student entrance as well as the entrance to the cafeteria. Neither car was parked in its assigned spot. So Brooks Brown had just stepped out of the cafeteria at this point to have a cigarette when he noticed Eric pull up in his car. Um, he immediately uh, approached Eric's car to ask him where he had been for the uh, the earlier part of the day. Obviously, Brooks was a, a frequent target of uh, Eric's online blogging days. Um, Eric, however, dismissed the fact that he hadn't been in class and, um, and, and informed Brooks, it doesn't matter anymore. Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. He then uh, turned away from Brooks and started unloading his car. So Brooks shrugged these words off, but later on we'll look back on these and feel very uneasy thinking about the last, um, the last exchange he actually had with Eric. Yeah, very matter of fact. So shortly after 11.14am, the gunmen dressed in black leather dusters and wearing wraparound sunglasses carried two duffel bags into the school's cafeteria, each containing a £20 propane bomb set, set to go off at 11.17am. So obviously the cafeteria, a place where everyone's going to congregate, a lot, lot of heavy footfall, um, and thinking that's going to be a place where if they hit there, it's going to you know cause you know, yeah. you know, mass injury. Yeah, they'd planned that specific period of time that uh, they'd researched when the most bodies were in the cafeteria. Um, and uh, 11.17 was when uh, a lunch started. So that would be a fully packed cafeteria they intended on uh, blowing up. Just moments before their entry, as janitor turned off the cafeteria surveillance cameras to rewind the tape they recorded on, missing the act of the bags being left on the floor beside the two tables. So that is just extreme, in their eyes, I imagine, good fortune for the... For the but obviously for the school, this yeah, significant. Yeah, uh, I mean, once the once the bags had been dropped, they could be seen clearly on the surveillance, but they missed obviously the key moment of the boys placing the bags down. So Eric and Dylan returned to their cars to wait for explosions. Now it's important to mention at this point, this was their plan A. So plan A for them, they'd obviously park their cars at key entry and exit points of the cafeteria. Their plan was to blow up the cafeteria, taking as many lives as possible with it, but also being ready with ammunition to pick off any potential survivors who were fleeing the premises. Yes. Um, which is just chilling. I mean, if that had gone to plan, it's still what they would go on to do. It's absolutely outrageous. But if plan A had gone through, you'd, you, you'd hate to think that, uh, well, the numbers that they would have reached with this one. Yeah, well, there was 488 people in the cafeteria at the time when the, the propane bombs were set to go off. So yeah, it could, the number could have been a lot, lot higher. And it's estimated if the bombs did go off, the library would be likely to collapse on the lunchroom due to structural damage. But yeah, luckily for uh, the bombs, they, were, they didn't, didn't go off. So at 11.19am, the Jefferson County Dispatch Centre received a 911 call from a person who reported hearing an explosion in a field um, on the east side of Wadsworth Boulevard, which is about three miles from the Columbine High School. Um, two backpacks loaded with pipe bombs were said to have been the cause of the explosion and subsequent uh, fire, um, which actually would have been at the hands of Eric and Dylan um, in the attempt to cause a mass distraction. Mm. So again, this is a very strategic move from the boys, very well planned. As we mentioned, their planning goes back a year prior to the uh, the massacre itself. So they they already thought, you know what, we'll, we'll cause a mass distraction, get police services out of the way, firefighting services out of the way. And, uh, and then surely that gives them more kind of rampage time. Yeah, it's definitely going to be yeah, the distraction there. I mean, even covering the Vegas case, it, it, just from, you know, the mass kind of chaos going on in all different places, 
Um, it's easy for the police to get you know, wrong misinformation and go to other locations, therefore delaying them actually going to the actual the main the main target. So while all of this is going on, um, Eric and Dylan are still in the uh, Columbine car park, waiting patiently, for, well, impatiently now, for their bombs to go off. Um, now, they decide to go with plan B at this point, um, and what they do is they set up timed car bombs and place them back in the uh, trunks of their car, but while doing that, they each of them take a duffel bag and a backpack, collectively containing two sawed-off shotguns, a 9mm semi-automatic carbine rifle, and a 9mm Tech DC-9 semi-automatic pistol. They headed back to the school. Richard Castaldo and Rachel Scott were sitting on the grassy knoll between the gunman and the west entrance when they started shooting. Richard was hit with eight bullets but survived, though he suffered a critical injury to his spine that would paralyse him for life. And Rachel was hit four times by bullets from Eric's gun, taking a fatal bullet to the head. Interestingly, the name Rachel is mentioned in Eric and Dylan's basement tape, in which they make fun of girls who are always talking about Jesus. Yeah, and we've, we've seen in some of the documentaries as well when, they have, um, when uh, Richard has been interviewed that uh, the boys mocked Rachel as she was dying, um, asking if she still believed in God. And she uh, she replied that she did. And then Eric is claimed to have said, well, go be with him before shooting her in the head. Yeah, I know, I know the parents kind of look at that as, they even kind of mention her being like a religious martyr. Yeah. That, you know, they, she believed in God. And that was her kind of like, she, did, she didn't change her beliefs and even the kind of, even being faced with that. Yeah, I think there was an uh, uh, an art project she had done just a few weeks before uh, the massacre itself, which was basically around her handprint, and that would then become on to be a, a symbol, a symbol um, for the community, and as they recovered, and and yeah, she was held in obviously her, her faith was held in extremely high regard from the whole the whole county. So yeah, it was a, a pretty grim moment. So after shooting uh, Richard and Rachel, the boys edged closer towards the school entrance. And as they did this, Lance Kirklin and his friends Danny Rauber and Sean Graves had just left the cafeteria through the side entrance to go to the smoker's pit. Lance saw Dylan and Eric standing at the top of the outdoor stairway, but thought the gunmen were just playing a senior prank. So obviously as the uh, end of the school year was approaching, it was a common trend um, for the seniors to kind of play pranks on everybody. And uh, and the boys just believed that that was the case. And unfortunately, they were very, very wrong. I mean, as well, they've, they've done media projects where they're playing hitmen and stuff. So it's not it's not too absurd to imagine they'll be walking around... Yeah, as I say, playing, playing a prank, playing those roles they used to play. Making the sequel. So as the boys believed it was a senior prank, they carried on approaching uh, Eric and Dylan. And as they approached them, Eric and Dylan decided to target them next. So Lance would later say that he doesn't recall hearing the gunshots whatsoever, um, only feeling the impact. And he remembers that he was hit in the leg and the chest. Danny was also shot in the chest and fell back into Sean. Lance turned to run and was shot in the leg, causing him to fall to the ground. Sean ran past, taking several shots to the back and abdomen before a gunshot wound to the leg downed him just outside the door to the cafeteria. So five students who were sitting to the west of the stairs were shot as they ran for cover. 15-year-old Michael Johnson was hit, but he was able to reach the outdoor athletic storage shed where he hid with the other three uninjured students who had already made it there. Mark Taylor suffered a critical hit and fell. Paralysed and able to flee with the others, he played dead. That's the thing you hear a lot in, in these school shootings, is, is people playing dead and yeah. sometimes, yeah, I mean... 
It's an interesting one. Unless you're in that moment, I guess you could never truly say what you would and wouldn't do. Anne-Marie Hotchalter had been eating lunch with friends just outside the cafeteria when the shooters opened fire. She got up and tried to run for the shelter of the cafeteria, but was shot by Harris. Paralysed from her injuries, she fell. So as the boys were moving from location to location, they also lit and threw homemade pipe bombs onto the school roof. Some witnesses actually reported hearing them say, this is what we always wanted to do. This is awesome. That's chilling. I mean, we'll go on to some more um, quotes, yeah. eyewitness quotes of what the boys were alleged to have said and actually some audio, um, which is absolutely haunting. But the fact that they're so confident and so clinical in their approach at this point is... It's even the language that just shows how young they are. Uh, yeah. It's, well, it's kind of, yeah, it's... I think Eric had only just turned 18 a few days before and Dylan was 17. And for mm. them to be kind of picking people off and cheering and laughing and, and, and saying this is awesome... Ah, it's, it's messed up. So teacher Peggy Dodd, who was in the library at the time, said she looked out of the library window and could see Dylan standing on the hill just shooting. Um, he had been a student in her computer class the previous year and she remembered him as being a troublemaker who hacked into computers and wore tall Nazi boots and an overcoat. Dodd said that Klebold was holding a weapon with both hands and using a sweeping motion he pointed it towards the south parking lot. So Sean Graves managed to crawl to the doorway to the cafeteria, but weakened from blood loss, he couldn't make it all the way inside. He rubbed blood in his face and he laid there playing dead. To do that, uh, that is, um, well, smart, first of all, but... It's impossible to comprehend being in a situation like that. I mean, he's, he's dying on the floor, can't move anymore and decides, and still has the kind of initiative to... Wow. So meanwhile, Eric then headed down the stairs where he shot Daniel Rothber at close range, killing him. Dylan, meanwhile, shot Lance Kirkland again, this time at point-blank range in the face. Lance was critically injured by the shotgun blast that mangled his jaw. He lost consciousness and Dylan left him for dead. Though amazingly, Lance survived. So at 11.22am, Jefferson County Sheriff Deputy Neil Gardner, a community resource officer at Columbine High School, was sitting in his patrol car by the smoker's pit when he received a call on the school's radio from the custodian telling him that he was needed at the back lot. So did he not realise anything was going on? I mean, if he was by the smoker's pit, I mean, I know it's a big school, but wasn't that near to where the first shots were fired? There, yeah, well, I mean, we don't know when he pulled up there. Yeah. Um, to, to be fair, all this seems to be happening quite quickly, but... Um, I mean, I guess yeah. there's lots of things to consider. What's he, what's he doing at the time? Where's he, where he's come from? But yeah, I mean, there would be eventually a, a massive criticism towards the police in, in the response time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like you say, we don't know how long he'd been there for. So at 11.23am, a 911 call from a student at Columbine reported that a female had fallen in the south parking lot and they alleged that she may now be paralysed. Deputy Paul Mager, who was actually on his way to um, attend to the fire, um, the distraction fire that the boys had ignited, um, had a message over to his radio and re-diverted towards Columbine High School. So 18-year-old senior Nick Foss was in the cafeteria when a girl came running in from outside screaming, someone shooting, someone shooting. While other students ran away, he ran outside to see what was going on. He could see two guys on the ground, one of whom had half his face blown off, to quote Nick. So at 11.24am, coach William Sanders, who was known affectionately as Dave, and school custodians John Curtis and Jay 
Galatine entered the cafeteria to find out what was happening outside. Realizing the danger quite quickly, they, uh, with the help from school security officers, they started to alert all students in the cafeteria to exit immediately. And there is surveillance footage of this, which is again chilling i feel like we've used that word so many times already but i guess the kind of the human instinct um is the kind of seeing what's going on you you, you do that don't you so them doing that and taking the kind of um the initiative to actually be like look we're going to tell people what's going on so people people stop going outside to look and lead them to different different places it will definitely have saved a lot a lot of lives yeah so Patty Nelson was on hall monitor duty when she heard the commotion outside of the school. She looked out the west entrance and saw a male student carrying what she thought was a toy gun and assumed that school video production was being taped or that it was some kind of school prank. So like we said, especially with these two guys who have done previous videos like that, you could, you could easily imagine that's just what it is. She didn't approve of how real it looked and went out to tell them to knock it off. Um, so student Brian Anderson had been told by another teacher to get out of the school because of the explosions and commotion. Um, not realising where or, or what the danger was, um, he went he went out through the first exit he came to, which was actually the west entrance of the school, and he came face-to-face -face with Eric Harris, who was the other side of some double doors. He knew Eric from his film class, so Brian assumed that the gun he was holding was a propped gun. So as you said, all the, you know, all the students in the school that knew them knew that they were kind of... Um, well, in the trench coat mafia, but also knew that they were um, people that had previously made similar movies um, on the on the school campus. Um, so believed that it was just a prop. Um, Patty, who Tom had just mentioned, was right behind Brian. Turning, Eric saw the two of them heading his way and started firing bullets at them, shattering the glass doors that separated them, and they uh, immediately retreated. So bleeding and terrified by the realisation that she'd actually been shot at, Patty turned and ran to the library while Brian Anderson stumbled his way out of the west entranceway. He followed her to the library where he quickly hid in the utility closet. Eric and Dylan entered the school shortly after. Through the same entrance Eric had just fired on, but they were distracted by the arrival of law enforcement outside. So the police, yeah, have finally, not finally, I mean, the police have arrived and are now, yeah, it's kind of um, stepped up. So Deputy Neil Gardner was first on the scene and he decided to park in the senior parking lot, which would apparently give him the best view of the entire school. Um, now, this um, lot that he was in happened to also be the closest to the entrance that uh, Dylan and Eric had just gone into um, and also had the best view on the cafeteria. Um, as soon as Gardner got out of his car, Eric Harris fired roughly 10 rounds of ammunition towards him before his weapon jammed. So again, they've not gone in with a, a, a motive just to kill students or bullies or enemies. Adults are now also a target, um, including local police force. So they're angry at the world, like you said. It's not it's not just uh, necessarily retaliation to, to their bullies. They are taking down people for the taking. Exactly, yeah. The sake of taking it, them down. It didn't matter who they killed. They, just, they wanted they wanted their number to be as high as possible. They, they wanted to be known for this forever. So we go back to coach Dave Sanders. Um, after um, evacuating the cafeteria, he makes his way up the stairs where he passed the library. He then encounters Eric and Dylan straight ahead of him in the hallway. Coach Sanders turns and begins to, to head away from the boys, but he was shot in the neck by Eric Harris just before making it around the corner. So Greg Barnes, a varsity basketball player, witnessed this, and this is what he said. I saw Coach Sanders turn around, take two shots right in front of me. Blood went flying off him and he fell. Sadly, Greg Barnes would go on to commit suicide on May the 4th in the year 2000. 
So um, as this was happening, students managed to pull um, Coach Sanders into a nearby classroom where they uh, began to um, provide him with first aid. Um, it was a, a really bad injury that he'd taken to the neck. Um, so they were trying to trying to save his life, essentially. Um, now, while this is happening, Eric has uh, paused and gone back to search his duffel bag while Dylan is continually throwing pipe bombs around the, the various parts of the school in an attempt to ignite the other uh, uh, the bombs that they'd put in the cafeteria. So Patty Nelson, who was in the library, she was splitting her time between the 911 call and looking after the kids and other staff members in there. At the time, there were three staff members and 55 students in the library hiding at that one time. As this is happening, several students who were able to escape the school and make it safely uh, to, uh, you know, responding police forces had uh, communicated to various deputies that the gunmen were wearing black trench coats and carrying um, Uzis and hand grenades. Um, so the, the uh, information that police forces were sharing at this point was to potentially get snipers on the scene to take out anybody leaving the school in a black trench coat. And as a result, they subsequently um, arrested Brooks Brown uh, upon his escape from the school, thinking that he was potentially linked to the attack. So at 11.29, Eric and Dylan enter the library. So we already know there's 55 people in there, four teachers in there as well. They're hollering at everyone in the room to get up. You can actually hear the instructions over the phone call with Patty at the time. They say things such as, everyone with a white cap or baseball cap stand up, all jocks stand up, we'll get the guys in the white hats. Um, wearing a white hat at Columbine was a sign of being a jock. And we know from earlier on in the research the fact that they hated jocks. I mean, they hated everyone, but jocks was a clear, you know, clearly the popular kids that, that you know, would bully them. So that was a real big target that they wanted to um, go after. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. And when uh, nobody did stand up in a white cap, uh, Eric responded, fine, I'll start shooting. As Dylan and Eric proceed through the library, um, they actually encounter 16-year-old Kyle Velasquez, who had suffered a stroke as an infant and was also learning disabled. He was still sitting at a computer table while everyone else was hiding. So he obviously is heartbreaking. He didn't know at this point that he should hide or was, had any reason to be in fear. 
So Dylan approaches him and shoots him in the face with a shotgun at close range. So absolutely heartbreaking. Um, well, yeah, the, the, as you said, every, as we keep saying, there was no... Um, discrimination. No, anyone was a target. They were happy to, to kill anyone. Um, as I said, it seems as if they wanted, just, they wanted their kill count to be as high as possible. Shortly after, Eric and Dylan would start shooting at the police through the window outside and then the police began to return fire. They weren't successful. They didn't have a clear shot on Eric or Dylan, so they were just kind of shooting, um, you know, shooting in the general direction. They didn't get any clear hits. Eric Harris then turns away from the windows where he was opening fire on police and starts to open fire on the nearest table. His first shot killed student Steve Kernow, who was hiding under the last desk, and his second shot in- injured Casey Rusiger. Outside the school, um, emergency response units continued to rescue and uh, pull students to safety. So on the, on the 911 call, you could, they could still hear this time, they could hear like, them shouting Yahoo, even saying things like peekaboo when going under the desks to shoot at the students it was very it was very much a game for them it was, it was something fun something they wanted to do for so long and it's you can imagine that kind of situation that you know if people might do that and then they just realize what am i doing and they get all panicky and scared but these boys did not seem to be that way they were like this is what i've wanted to do and this was their moment in their heads to shine which is it's a very scary thought yeah and particularly a, a lot of the recreations of of the event itself or, or documentaries or films then there are many of them um, they really, really highlight this particular scene in the library of, of you know, poking down below the table and saying peekaboo. Um, I mean, the actors playing them are terrifying as well. Um, but also the thought that, you know, they, these are kids that have allegedly been bullied for many, many years to then start playing with people and torturing people, you know, emotionally just before they they potentially kill them is, is just, it's really unsettling. It is. So on the subject of them saying things like peekaboo, Eric actually did exactly that to Casey Bernal. He went on, he bent under the desk, said peekaboo and shot her with a shotgun in close range and actually killed her. The recoil from the shotgun actually caught him in the face and breaking his nose and making him bleed. So the sight of blood in his face disturbed several students who thought, who told reporters afterwards that it looked like he'd actually been drinking blood. And obviously they were dressed quite gothic. Um, it's a haunting image. We'll get, yeah, we'll get onto that. So despite the danger still present, student Pat Ireland moved out of his hiding place to administer first aid to McKay Hall. Um, Upon seeing him, Dylan shot him twice in the head and once more in the foot when Pat tried to crawl back undercover. The blast knocked one of his shoes off and he fell to the floor unconscious. McKay and Dan Steepleton played dead to avoid being shot again as well. Just by where Cassie was hiding, Bree Pascal was crouched down in the open. Eric turned his gun onto Brie Pascal and he said to her, do you want to die? Brie answered, no, please don't shoot me. I have a family and a fiancé. He laughed at her, then finally seemed to notice that his nose was bleeding. He said, Dylan, it hit my nose. And according to Brie, he started laughing again. He said, everyone's going to die. We're going to blow up the school anyway. Dylan then called his attention to two boys hiding under another table and Eric, distracted, forgot about Brie and moved on to join his fellow gunmen. So Dylan was at another set of tables um, where three friends were hiding. Uh, Matthew Ketcher, Isaiah Scholes and uh, Craig Scott. Now, Craig Scott was actually the younger brother of the very first victim killed, Rachel Scott. Um, The shooters flanked the table on the east and west sides and Isaiah was heard by witnesses to have told the shooters that he was scared and wanted to go home to see his mum. Dylan made a racial comment towards Isaiah and then tried to pull him out from under the table. 
When that didn't work, Eric fired under the other side of the table, killing Isaiah. And I mean, just on that, one of the things I remember from the aftermath and the news footage is that Craig Scott, who obviously had lost his sister, was on a news station hugging the dad of Isaiah. And that hug just lasted forever. It was absolutely heartbreaking. Obviously, there weren't very many um, African-American students at the school at the time whatsoever. And again, shortly before his his death, Pete Wiley's pleading to see his mother, they are making uh, racial remarks to him. And it's just, it's evil, man. So Dylan followed his lead and shot under his side of the table as well, killing Matt Ketcher. So Craig Scott was miraculously uninjured and he, he pretended to play dead whilst laying in his friend's blood. Meanwhile, Dylan crossed the room to the east side of the library where he shot out the trophy case near the door. And I think there are photos of this trophy case. It's absolutely demolished. Moving around the broken display, he shot underneath the nearest library table to the south, leaving Mark Kington with bullets in his head and shoulder. Klebold then turned around and shot at the students hiding under the table to his left, injuring both Lisa Krutz and Valine Scher uh, with the same bullet. He then fired eight times in rapid succession, followed by a ninth shot, killing Lauren Townsend, who had been beside Val Schnur. So at 11.34, the boys moved across the library, reloading their guns. Eric caught the sight of a boy he recognised under the table. Dylan aimed his gun at his head and asked him to identify himself. He did, and he said John Savage. He was actually an acquaintance of Dylan, and he asked Dylan what he was doing. Dylan replied casually, oh, just killing people. John asked if they were going to kill him too, and Dylan told him to get out of the library. So there's, there's odd acts of mercy for this, isn't there? Like early on saying to um, Brooks, Brown, yeah. yeah, and then even here. So not there's not all like a glimmer of hope in this, but it's, yeah. And it's just the kind of callousness and saying, just killing people. It's all a big joke to them. So at 11.35am, Eric turned and fired on the table directly north of where they had just been shooting. Um, shooting Daniel Mauser in the face at close range, killing him. So this is the one that really, not that it's not all completely upsetting, but the father of Daniel, um, he's in the Bowling for Columbine doc- documentary. I think he has his own YouTube channel now, but it's absolutely heartbreaking. Um, and apparently they'd initially shot Daniel in the hand. And when Daniel then tried to fight back, they shot him in the face, uh, calling him four eyes. Yeah, so the, the father would go on. To, to campaign to campaign for gun reform. Dylan and Eric continued onwards where they found more students um, and opened fire on them uh, where they killed Corey Deputa. So the gunmen would leave the library at 11.36am. Patty Nelson was still on the phone with 911 at the time. So yeah, that was, uh, I mean, we'll put some footage up of the library afterwards, but an absolute, that was a hellish scene, wasn't it? It was. At the same time when the shooters were leaving the library, Deputy Searle reported a man on the roof wearing red, white and blue striped shirt. The man was thought at first to be possibly a, be a third shooter at the time, but he was later identified to be an air conditioning repairman. Timing-wise, yeah. that is terrible. Um, luckily, they didn't. You know, there was no big attempts at uh, targeting him. But. Was he working away then? Was he un, unbeknownst as to what was going on I guess if though if you're, in, if you're in a building and hearing all the guns going off and the explosions and all these things and screams maybe the best place to be is on the roof well yeah that's, yeah, that's a fair point I mean there you go but um, yeah they assumed, it, they assumed that he was the third man but luckily they didn't act upon it so uh, while Eric and Dylan are now moving location the remaining 
students in the library are left in absolute silence. I guess there is still ringing from all the explosions and bullets. But at the same time, they're not knowing. And this is the same with any school shooting. They're not knowing who the... Well, maybe they know who the shooters are, but what they're doing, are they going to come back? Is it over? Can I come out? Should I continue to play dead? I mean... You can only imagine what that kind of situation must have been like. Yeah, it's, even who's dead, who's who's died. Has my friends been killed? Have you know my teacher been killed? Or if you have any other family in the school, brothers and sisters, it's all running through your head, isn't it? So in just over seven minutes, ten people were killed and twelve more were wounded. There were a total of fifty-six people in the library. Thirty-four of them had escaped injury altogether. The shooters had more than enough ammo to kill everyone, but for whatever reason, they didn't. And again, I think we've. We mentioned that there were a couple of students, obviously they tested with different questions before letting them go. Some students that they instantly shot, some students were playing dead, so they assumed that they were already dead. Not to look too well, to too look deeply into it. They seemed to be absolutely fine with shooting people that were running away, but maybe when they actually faced with people directly in front of them, yeah. and confronted with them, looking at them, maybe they um, you know, slightly didn't have... As, as callous a look on that as, as, as they did with people running away because running away they've got a chance maybe they, they seem as more as you know I don't know it's just, it's just, a, it's just a possibility uh, Dylan and Eric then make their way down to the cafeteria at 11.44am and there's footage of this again that you can see the surveillance footage is really really eerie so Eric stops on the stairs and kneels down to fire several pot shots at the uh, duffel bags they had placed in the cafeteria attempting to ignite the bombs um, he semi ignites one of them which causes like a mild fire um, but neither of them explode um, properly and while this is happening uh, Dylan is walking around uh, picking up people's drinks and just seeing off a little bit of apple juice and orange juice. Um, just the calmness of it all is is it's just eerie, eerie as hell. They're probably very aware about this, the uh, surveillance in the actual place as well, knowing that these are the images going to be used on the news reports and the media, so they're probably you know trying to be a bit... Give it the big one on the camera. Yeah. Uh, a student that was in the cafeteria at the time heard one of the gunmen say, today is the day the world's going to come to an end. Today's the day that we die. So between 12.02 and 12.05, the gunmen were back in the library firing out the broken west windows at the emergency workers and law enforcement. The Denver SWAT team finally started an approach to the school under the cover of a commandeered fire truck. So shortly after 12.05, the shooting ceases and there's a really eerie silence about the place. Um, the SWAT teams and uh, and police teams continue to um, evacuate the premises, but it is established that between 12.05 and 12.07, Dylan and Eric take their own lives. Eric um, was to go first and he shot himself in the head with a shotgun, which actually removed a good portion of his head. Dylan, on the other hand, um, shortly after throwing his remaining pipe bombs around the library, shoots himself in the side of the head with a pistol. And there were a couple of witnesses left in the in the library that mentioned he, he sounded like he was in a great deal of pain shortly after, well, immediately after doing this. And an autopsy would reveal that Dylan actually died from uh, blood filling his lungs and, and drowning on the blood. Um, so not a very quick death at all for Dylan. Yeah, no, that's horrible. But yeah, that that would mark the end of the um, of the chaos of that day. 
So at 4.30pm, Columbine was officially declared safe. That's a long time after. Yeah. So that's, yeah, four, four and a half hours, near enough four and a half yeah. hours after they, they've killed themselves. Obviously, the police didn't know, but they weren't sh- for sure certain there was just two of them. Yeah. They had to check everything, you know, make sure everything was safe. And, you know, even the bags, I guess, it's them actually making sure the explosives weren't going to go off. But more officers were called in at 5.30pm when explosives were found in the parking lots. At 6.15, the bomber squad found a live bomb in Dylan's car. Luckily, a lot of these bombs, they didn't go off. Um, obviously, we said before, earlier on in the cafeteria, that, that could structurally could have um, made you know the building fall in on itself. Um, and the car bombs and you know other places where the police weren't expecting them to be. Uh, it's just a very fortunate that they didn't actually go off. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I think police officials even, it took about three hours for them to decide to search Dylan and Eric's bodies as well which is just um, a significant amount of time, but they wanted to make sure that there were no body traps. Yeah. Um, so it was clear, obviously, from uh, the detail of, well, from the positions in which their bodies were left, that it was a, uh, both of them had committed suicide, and obviously their names had been m- mentioned by multiple uh, witnesses as the culprits and the two only culprits of the shooting. So obviously this is a crime scene. The dead couldn't be moved till a full investigation was done. At 10.45pm, the car bomb actually went off when an official tried to defuse it, damaging the BMW without injuring anyone. It's crazy. So, I mean, this whole time, as as they're evacuating, and there's so many news reports of, of students fleeing and, and jumping into the arms of loved ones, pe- parents waiting to know if their kids have been That's it, involved yeah. or not. I mean, there'd be probably still kids around the school hiding. Yeah. And, you know, not sure what, what you know what's going on. So, your parents waiting, hearing all the news from work, having to rush over there. So the day after the shootings, thousands of people travelled across the country to pay their respects and lay flowers uh, just uh, beside the school grounds. Um, other memorials were held for those who had died. It was sunny that afternoon, but as soon as the bodies of the shooters were removed from the school, an unseasonal blizzard began. So yeah, I mean, as Ben mentioned throughout that, the police were criticised in terms of the speed of entering the school. Um which actually resulted in the introduction of the immediate action rapid deployment tactic, which is used in active shooter situations. Columbine also resulted in an increased emphasis on school security with zero tolerance policies. Debates and moral panic were sparked over guns and gun control laws, high school cliques, subcultures, outcasts and bullying, as well as teenage use of pharmaceutical and antidepressants. Um, We haven't really touched on that massively, but um, the fact that they were, you know, they went in there that wanted to kill as many people um, as they did, and people were trying to, obviously everyone wants to know the motives and the reasons behind it. Uh, one of the things believed was because Harris was actually rejected from the U.S. Marine Corps shortly before the killings took place because of his psychiatric medication, his antidepressant Lovox. So, I mean, they were immediately looking for, you know, some kind of motive and there were many different uh, fingers pointed, many different um, theories put forward. There were um, a set of tapes recorded by the pair um, in the build-up to the attack, so as well as their journals and their websites, they actually filmed a series of videos together, which is now known as the Basement Tapes. And 30 minutes before the attack was due to take place, they filmed their very last tape together. As soon as the final tape is rolling, uh, the following kind of dialogue takes place. So, Harris, say it now. Klebold, hey mum, gotta go. It's about half an hour before our little judgment day. I just wanted to apologise to you guys for any crap this might instigate as far as inaudible or something. Just know I'm going to a better place. I didn't like life too much and I know I'll be happy wherever the fuck I go. So I'm gone. Goodbye. Reb. Dylan then takes the camera and begins filming Eric. 
Harris, yeah. Everyone I love, I'm really sorry about all this. I know my mum and dad will just be like, just fucking shocked beyond belief. I'm sorry, all right? I can't help it. Klebold, who interrupts, we did what we had to do. Harris, Morris, Nate, if you guys live, I want you guys to have whatever you want from my room and the computer room. Dylan adds that they can have all of his things as well. Harris, Susan, referring to his friend, sorry. Under different circumstances, it would have been a lot different. I want you to have that fly CD. Harris, that's it. Sorry. Goodbye. Klebold, goodbye. Yeah, it's very surreal. So even referring to their friends to say, if you live, you can have my stuff. There's there's no... I guess, well, their their original intention was to blow up the, um, well, yeah, the cafeteria, wasn't it? So I guess it's not known if they'll actually be there within the time they did it. So as we mentioned, there are a number of motives, uh, you know, theorised about the boys. Um, so the first one was obviously bullying from from jocks, um, depression, mental disorder, um, uh, the fact that they were outcasts, um, a potential link to political uh, terrorism. So obviously heavily un- influenced by Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombings. And even the Nazis. And even the Nazis, yeah. Uh, the medication, as Tom has mentioned, but also a big one is infamy. Yes. And to an extent, it could be argued that they have achieved that. I mean, it's one of the most famous mass shootings or school shootings, if not the most famous in the world. um, Dylan boasted on video about inflicting the most deaths in the US history. According to the FBI, it wasn't just fame they were after. They were gunning for infamy on the scale of Attila the Hun to create a devastating nightmare so, so apocalyptic that the world would shudder at their power. So the FBI actually stated how, that the boys dreamed much bigger. Having planned for a year, their plan was to escape and head to larger cities, hijack planes and fly, fly them into New York City, killing many more civilians. Their plan was to terrorise a nation by attacking a symbol of American life. And that's in 1999. Yep. That's crazy. I mean, uh, there were a total of 76 devices still found that were undetonated in the school as well. So they hadn't used, gone through their, you know, all of their prep two diversionary devices, 13 devices were found in the suspect's cars and eight more were found at their two homes, which brought it to a total of 99 devices. So one of the things I remember, um, obviously watching Bolland for Columbine, um, was the big links with Marilyn Manson in regards to the kind of press immediately afterwards. Um, And I never really understood what the links were. Obviously the boys were wearing a lot of black, wearing quite dressing quite gothic mm-hmm. and it was just kind of partnered with well who's the most menacing gothic act at the moment it's Marilyn Manson yeah. he, he's quite shocking on stage with his stage shows he, his music and his lyrics are quite dark it was very easy to point a finger at, finger at him yeah 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 um, one of the after reading kind of I, I wanted to kind of explore this a little bit and kind of see what exactly you know what was the link was it it can't just be a simple uh, case of Pointing the finger. Yeah, which it literally was. Uh, The kids were rumoured to be wearing his merch during the shooting, but that was disproved. Um, They were actually, (laughs) it was actually known, apparently in the peers, that they actually had quite a distaste towards Marilyn Manson's music. Leonard Skinner offered to open a can of whoop-ass on Marilyn Manson a day after the shooting. Sweet Home Alabama getting involved, but I mean, again... Sweet Home Kick Your ass The energy went into it, I thought was going to be really good, but it... So yeah, Leonard's going to get involved there and again without any kind of actual evidence there. So they maybe they need to wind the next in a little bit. Um, under the mountain pressure though from from all this stuff and the bad press that um, Marilyn Manson had, he did go on to uh, postpone his last five North American tour dates for the respect of the victims and the families. 
He also said it's not a great atmosphere to be out playing rock and roll shows for us or the fans. But he did steadily maintain the music, movies, books or video games are not to blame. No, I think in the in the Bowling for Columbine documentary as well, uh, when Michael Moore had asked him, you know, if, if Eric and Dylan were here today, what would you say to them? And he said, I wouldn't say anything to them. I'd do what nobody did and I'd listen, which was quite a... Yeah, he's a very clever guy, Mary yeah, Manson. Yeah, very clever guy. So in terms of... Um, I guess the the legacy that they they've left. I don't want to glorify the boys whatsoever, um, but it was uh, thirteen victims killed, uh, twenty four injured, twenty one of which were through gunfire, and then obviously the two uh, killing themselves took that total up to fifteen. Uh, the coach would later die from his wounds, um, so the memorial for him was a particularly. Uh, emotional one i mean that they, they all were very very emotional but this the footage from that they were just grown uh grown you know his peers just absolutely broken by the moment so in terms of where columbine ranks um it's the joint 14th deadliest mass shooting in american history and it's the joint 23rd in school massacres worldwide um did a double take when i saw number one not that it's a competition in any way shape or form but number one is the bezlan school siege in russia which resulted in 385 people being killed. As we mentioned earlier on, there's, there's, there are people out there called the Columbiners who look up to Eric and Dylan. So Melissa Anderson, who runs an Eric and Dylan fan site, says the reason she thinks they are really cool to do what they did is because they stood up for themselves, being teased every single day, which she can relate to. She says in her experience after the 20th of April, all the popular kids left the unpopular kids alone. So it's kind of a, this act stopped all the bullying in, in, in her eyes, which... I mean, there are hundreds of thousands of kids that get bullied and don't go on to do what these two did. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly it. Um, As well as finger pointing as well, uh, we should probably mention um, just behind Marilyn Manson, the video game Doom uh, received a lot of criticism. The boys were reportedly obsessed with the game, developing their own maps. Um, I mean, they mostly played Eric's maps, which were known as Harris maps, that I think you can still somehow get access to uh, to date which is a bit bit spooky on the note of video games in april of 2005 super columbine massacre rpg was released which is a video game um uh basically role playing the roles of the boys going through the school and uh trying to get as many victims as possible of course that received a huge amount of backlash yeah, and rightly so yeah yeah absolutely i mean there have been multiple movies made as well one of them which actually i forgot to mention was what first kind of put me onto the case was elephant by gus van sant the boys have served as an example often cited by other young school shooters including virginia tech killer song hoi cho so yeah, there's a lot of copycat killers and i think it's the you know being the bullied i think even now if you look at it there's a lot the even they probably would fall under the category of incel yeah which wasn't really a thing or wasn't heavily spoke about back then but you know people who hate the opposite sex and also hate people above them in power dylan's mother sue klebold now does ted talks um years on from the event um they're they're well worth a watch actually she's an interesting um lady um, she goes on to speak of first discovering that Dylan was responsible and associating that with maybe what, what she could have done more as a mother or if there were any red flags or warning signs. But I think the really spooky thing is, as she describes Dylan's childhood, she's dis- describing a, a really positive, uh, normal childhood. There's nothing that she was at all concerned about in terms of his behavior. Sometimes he would come home, you know, sad and go straight to his room, but she never questioned it. And she just blames herself for one day not going into the room and 
checking in on him. That's the hard thing. I think mean, every case we do, we're like, even like Ian Watkins, you think about the band, you think about um, other people coming to terms with this, their family member. I watched a documentary recently about Ted Bundy and had his brother on there talking about him and, you know, growing up with him, always looking up to him. And it's kind of a similar thing where you never can imagine them doing it and, and you can't you can't see the red flags. Maybe looking back, you can see little elements to it, but you, you can't blame the family unless they, you know, actively did something to create, make them do that, which obviously in this case they didn't. It was alleged that the song Pumped Up Kicks yeah. by uh, Foster the People was um, inspired by... Or, or not necessarily inspired by, but took reference from uh, various school shootings and Columbine played a factor in that. You better run, run run, faster than my bullet. Yeah, there's some haunting, and this might have been the Columbiners, it might not have been, but there's some haunting uh, music videos with that soundtrack, um, extracting stuff from Bowling from Columbine, from Elephant, there's a couple of others, I think Zero Hour. Um, there's a, a lot of other movies with really haunting scenes i remember um, being very hungover in newcastle um about to drive back with a friend josh dinnywell and before we drove we went to this pop to the cinema and we saw we need to talk about kevin oh really didn't lift the spirits yeah. uh, and it's a lot the book it's a long drive and it's yeah it really was a kind of it didn't uh get us pumped for that drive home sean graves who was um supposedly paralyzed in the attack a year after the shooting was actually able for the first time to get out of his wheelchair at his graduation ceremony there were a few things we noticed so that as well as the hitmen for hire um project that the boys filmed they were also on a couple of occasions uh followed around the school i, I mean they're filming a, a group of them it's not just specifically eric and dylan but it is quite a fascinating watch it's on youtube if you have the time but um at various points you can see eric um on his own at a, a table in the cafeteria spinning what looks like a nokia 3210 i like to get the nokia 3210s in you really do and he's just casually spinning the phone, stopping it, spinning the phone, stopping it. And he just looks up, looks to the side and, and then looks back at the camera and kind of goes, I hate most people. Whereas Dylan in the footage, you see him just walking around. He looks like a super happy kid. So the trench coat mafia, some students actually referred to them looking at them as kind of similar little gang. It's like a clockwork orange, just walking yeah. around the school and not, and not, and kind of not caring and just being very kind of, you know, hating everyone and everyone was a kind of a target for them of their ridicule as well. As you said, they weren't at the bottom of the um, the ladder when it came to the social standing within the school as well, which is kind of, if you were to lead, you know, believe that would lead them to those kind of actions, you'd imagine they'd be at the very, very bottom. I think it was, like we said, that dangerous, dangerous cocktail of a psychopath and someone that's suicidal. Yeah. And I think our take on this, I don't know if you'll agree, is I think Eric Harris was definitely the kind of leading influence there. Obviously, Dylan's played his part, but I think maybe, maybe Dylan was uh, manipulated slightly or kind of in it, awe. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, the thing about as well, psychopaths, they're very charming. They can get their own way. They're very manipulative. So, I mean, those kind of things could possibly happen. It wouldn't be, you know, too, too much of a stress stretch to imagine that's what happened there. Um, the other thing was, which was quite interesting, some of the people, um, some of the uh, students afterwards didn't want to be named in reports talking about it because they were still worried that another shooter might be linked to the case and they could go, they could still come and get them. And that's the thing about this kind of case is the amount of people that were affected by it. It wasn't just the people <laughs> shot or injured or killed in the families. It's also just the kind of mental damage that would have done on the people as well. Psychologically, they'll be you know, terrified of all these things, still worrying about another shooter being on the loose. Um, yeah. I mean, that, I think it, 
a few hours after it had occurred, there was kind of a national news alert that Bill Clinton, um, you know, had announced everything, sent his thoughts and prayers. He looked noticeably shaken as well when he yeah. was doing it. Comparatively, you think to some like more modern day ones, which which horribly, it's more of a commonplace thing now. When him doing that one, it looked, it looked very shaken. So no, I think I think that there's so much to this this case. I mean, it could have been you know a two or three hour long episode, but Dan, uh, it felt like it, didn't it? <laughs> Um, it was a very long timeline, but you know, there's a lot of detail in there. We didn't want to get it wrong, and there's a lot of information in there. But like Ben said, this is easily could be split up over a few episodes. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, terrible waste of life across the board. You know, a lot of heroes on the day um, that, that managed to save people. Obviously, Coach uh, Sanders um, leaves a bit of a legacy there. But um, no, it was uh, it was always going to be a tough episode. This one, and um, you know, we hope we did it. We hope we did it justice. And that's the case of the Columbine Massacre. So, Series 2 is a wrap. Um, you know, uh, we, we thank everyone once again for, for checking it out, and we really hope you enjoyed uh, the binge. That now takes it to six rom-coms, Tom. Yeah, it does. It does indeed. I mean, uh, no, actually, no. Probably yes. Probably slip a seventh in. Yeah. Um, after the cases we've covered. Um yeah, thank yeah, thank you for for supporting us and um, and watching and listening. We really appreciate it. Um, mugs still available if you want to get some mugs. Uh, Patreon if you want any more minisodes that we've been doing. Yeah, feel free to extra. go over there and let us know what you think. Yeah, and I think we've got a couple of ideas for season three. We'll we'll let you know on our socials then. So again, please, please, please feel free if you're a, an audio listener, pop over to Instagram or Twitter at Could Murder a Pod. Or if you're just an audio-only person, why not pop onto our YouTube channel and say hello? We're waving to you. Uh, I'm waving to you right now. I'm doing a thumbs up. Uh, thanks to everyone who got involved with this series as well. Down at Boston Sound, really appreciate it. Phil, for all your amazing animation, like all the amazing voice actors we got involved, and, he, and even additional research we got done for this for this series. All that, we really appreciate it. It, it really you know, obviously helps us a massive amount. So thank you, everyone, and until next time. We never, we never got an outro thing. Just we never got a catchphrase at the end, did we? Stay lovely. No. We will see you in season three. Thank you so much to everyone who supported us. Thank you for checking us out. And uh, until next time, Tom. We'll see you then. We'll see you then. You've been listening to I Could Murder a Podcast, written and presented by Tom Norris and Ben Carter. Additional voiceover by Joel Beckett, produced and mixed by Dan Lambert at Boston Sound. Additional research by Danielle St. Romain, edited by Kian O'Leary. Artwork and animation by Phil Witten. Theme song by Alfie Indra. If you enjoyed the episode, please remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Just search at Could Murder a Pod and make sure to tell all of your friends. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell 
everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Toyota Thon is on. So stop in and get a great deal on a sporty new Camry or stylish Corolla, both with available all-wheel drive. Find out more at buyatoyota.com. Hurry, Toyota Thon ends January 2nd. Toyota, let's go places. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I Could Murder a Podcast is proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. For hundreds of extra minisodes and other content, along with our private Discord server and live Q&As, exclusive merch and much more, consider subscribing to icmap.co.uk.